Let us travel now at the speed of light, departing from our home star on a trip across the cosmos toward the edge of the known universe. Our imaginary journey begins at midnight on January 1st, when we prepare to launch into space at the speed of 186,000 miles per second. We quickly pass the orbits of Mercury, Venus, and span the 93 million miles that separate the Earth from the Sun in just 8 minutes 19 seconds. We continue on, passing Mars, then the gas giant planets, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune. Finally, after 5 hours and 31 minutes, we race past Pluto and its companion moon. Our journey has taken us more than three and a half billion miles to the outer limits of our solar system. And it's still January 1st. Now we alter our flight path and travel in a direction perpendicular to our galaxy. Behind us, the nine planets and the sun quickly vanish from sight. The emptiness of space is broken only by the light of stars so distant they do not yet appear to move. A year passes, then two years, three, four years. Finally, on April 19th of the fifth year, we reach Alpha Centauri the nearest star to our solar system. We have traveled more than 25 trillion miles, and our journey has scarcely begun. We are now 10 light years from the sun, far enough out in space that the stars within our galaxy appear to converge. 100 light years from the sun, Patterns of gas and nebulous material from the arms of the Milky Way fill our view. 1,000 light years. The galaxy's arms and disk become more defined. Yet it is not until we have traveled at the speed of light for 100,000 years that the entire spiral shape of the Milky Way is recognizable. From here on, each point of light we see is no longer an individual star, but an entire galaxy composed of billions of stars. Five million years after beginning our journey, the Milky Way is seen as part of a cluster of about 30 galaxies, known as the local group. Fifty million light-years out, we encounter the large Virgo cluster containing more than 2,000 galaxies.
And so it goes, as our travels continue to take us deeper into the cosmos. We pass cluster after galactic cluster, each a building block of a far greater framework. A billion years pass. Five billion. Finally, after ten billion years, we decelerate and pause to observe a theoretical view of the universe's large-scale structure. Countless billions of galaxies are now seen to comprise chains, masses, and thread-like structures that stretch across the cosmos, separated by enormous regions of empty space. It is a spectacular tapestry, so vast and diverse in its design, that the power of its creator must truly surpass all human understanding. What's interesting is about that last part, that's all theoretical. Did you catch that? This is how it looks theoretically. Why? No, no one's been out there. So don't, you know, don't think that what you just watched was video. Okay, that, that, wasn't, that wasn't video. That was just, you know, it's so big, uh, we just don't really know uh, what really is out there. Now, listen to this. If we counted all the stars in our Milky Way, which we left billions of years ago in our trip that we took, if, if you counted all the stars in our Milky Way galaxy, one per second, if you could count every one, one per second, it would take 2,500 years to just count the stars in the Milky Way galaxy. And the Bible says that God knows the name of every one of those stars. Now, where does all this come from, and who sustains all this, and why is all this even here? Oh, wait a minute. I'm sorry. I just put this down. One other little fun thing. Can we, do, can we still do that? Are you ready? All right. Here we go. Look, this one's fun, because this one you can play with. All right? So the scale of the universe. Now, uh, you engineer types can watch this number over here. This shows you the scale that you're going at. And then for you sanguine types that like music, you can even play music while you're playing with this. So you can just have a lot of fun with this. But let's go down. Let's shrink down. It kind of shows you the scale of things. A chicken egg to an ant to a piece of sleet. Slow down there. There's, there's an X cor- cr- chromosome. Stuff that I don't even know what it is. Small, okay, wait, hang on. Smallest thing to, visible to an optical microscope. Okay, keep going. But you can go even smaller, smaller. Down it goes. Okay, hang on there. Now here's a helium atom, hydrogen atom. Okay, I mean that's that's you know that used to be the smallest thing. Okay, we can keep going. There's stuff that they've discovered. At some point, you st- it starts getting theoretical again. You know, at some point, you know, I don't know how much of a neutron isn't. Those things are there. Links shorter than this are not confirmed, okay? So let's go. Keep going there. Go farther. Just fun. You know, even if you don't know what it means, it's just fun to do. Okay? You just, just go through it and, and uh, pop cork. Pat, you know what a cork is? 
neutrino. It's just fun. Yako meters. Yakto meters. Yakto. Yokto. Maybe Russian. Off you go. All the way down. All the way to a Planck link. Quantum foam string. I have no clue what those are. All right, now we, let's go back up. And uh, we can take our trip that we just took uh, a while ago. We can do the same thing this way. Now we're going. There's man again. Giant earthworm bigger than a man. That's scary thought. Elephant. A cactus. Dinosaurs, the redwood tree, the pyramids. Hey, there's Gateway Arch, St. Louis, Hoover Dam. Keep going. Keep going. Scale of the universe. Central Park is gone. A marathon. <laughs> Where's Kirk? Okay. You're insignificant. That was insignificant. You ran that. I'm sorry. In the scale of, scale of the universe, insignificant. Keep going. Texas, they think they're big. The Earth, now we're going out in the planets. Keep going. Alpha Centauri, only thing I know about that is lost in space. I think that's where they were trying to go, wasn't it? They didn't know what they were doing back then. <laughs> All right, keep going, keep going. You can go quicker than that. Go. Off we go. Stingray Nebula. Ring Nebula. It's getting bigger. Go, 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 go. We're just traveling billions of years. So that took billions of years. Just get out there. Keep going, Audra. You can do it, Audra. Off we go. And then they... Okay, there you go. The estimated size of the universe. There's the observable. There's the estimated size. Now tap on that there, Audra. And it says here, the universe is everything we know. We know nothing of what lies beyond. Oh, also, the universe may be much larger than this. There's just no way to accurately measure the size. Okay, thanks. So let's give Audra a hand. She did a great job. Audra, you can always become an astronaut. All right. Now, where does all this come from? Who sustains this? Why is all this even here? You saw Psalm 119 at the beginning of this. Let me read it again. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man it runs its course with joy. And what's the significance of all this? Well, I have a quote for you from John Piper that I think from his book, Don't Waste Your Life, that that really sums up the vastness of what we just saw. And it's this. God made man small and the universe big to say something about himself. The disproportion between us and the universe is a parable about the disproportion between us and God. And it is an understatement. But the point is not to nullify us, but to glorify Him. It's not to say that we are nothing. It's to say that He is everything. Now, stop and think about what we just saw. I mean, how the vastness. and it, it, it just we, we can't even comprehend it. And honestly, the best thing that you can do is go out on a dark 
dark night out in the country where there are no lights. And rather than looking on your computer, rather than playing with a scale on your on the Internet, is just go out and look at the sky because that's where God is speaking. And he is speaking and he's saying, look, look how small you are. And he's wanting to say, look how big we are. Now, let me think about this with me for a minute. People say the universe is too big if the purpose is just for us to live in it. I mean, you know, again, you think about the third planet from the sun, which we think is the center. No, it's just a part of this Milky Way that we just saw. Now, to think how insignificant and small we are, our planet is, our solar system is, you say, wait a minute, they, people will say, it's way too big for just us to live in it. There has to be other life, you know, aliens and all that kind of thing. Well, you're moving in the wrong direction when you're thinking that way, because here's the deal. You're right. If the purpose of the universe was just for us to live in it, then it's way too big. It's way too big for just that purpose. But, but if the purpose of the universe is to declare the glory of God, which the Bible says it is, to show off the greatness of His majesty, to reveal the sovereignty of the one who created it, then the universe is just the right size. The universe is the right size to declare the glory of God. It's vast. It's huge. It's beyond us. That's the right size because God is even greater. Are you with me? God is even greater than that. And God is greater than the universe. Now, how should we respond to that? Romans eleven thirty six. How should we respond to what we have just seen? Seeing Romans eleven thirty six. That's how we should respond. We should respond. Romans eleven thirty six. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Now wait a minute. What does seeing the size of the universe have to do with giving glory to God and his saving purposes, especially his saving purposes in Romans 9 through 11. Well, turn with me to Psalm 50 and let's look at Psalm 50. I just want to do a little connection here of some of the dots that the Bible has regarding the vastness of the universe, the smallness of us and the glory of God. Well, look at Psalm 50. And we're just going to read down through it, and I'll just make some comments as we do. Let's, let's take a look. Psalm 50, let's look at verse 1. The Mighty One, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Greater than the sun, God's glory shines forth. Out of Zion, the place of His people, His chosen people, Israel. Verse 3, our God comes. He does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire, judgment. Around him, a mighty tempest. Remember last week, God talked to Moses out of the mighty tempest, out of the mighty storm, out of the mighty winds. And he calls the heavens above, this vast universe that we just saw, he calls the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Selah, pause, stop. Think about what I just said. Psalm 50 is an advance upon Psalm 19. In Psalm 19, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. Wow, he made all this. 
But look at what we just read again in verse 6. The heavens also declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Wow, the heavens should remind us that God is going to judge us. Now, there's a couple things uh, that we could probably glean from that. We should glean from that. The first is the one who judges us is the one who made all this. Okay, this trip we just took. God that we are going to stand before is the one that made all that. Okay, like last week, my objections, my questions, my sense of fairness, my sense of justness, my, my, my thinking that my goodness balances out my sins. What did you say? What God's going to, what? I heard a squeaking. What, what, what was that? Fastness. This is the God. So the God, our creator is our judge. I think there's another thing he's saying here. The heavens declare his righteousness for God himself is judge. When you go back in the Old Testament, when God swore and made his covenants with Israel, he swore and he said, look up at the sky and the stars. I'll make your descendants as numerous as the stars. He, he would swear and he would say, before heaven and earth passes away, my word will not fail. You know, the heaven and earth would have to pass away for my, for my word to fail. Remember in Romans 9 through 11, we're asking the question, has God failed to keep his promises? So when he's saying, the heavens declare my righteousness for I am judged, basically what he's saying is, hey, remember, I said that this universe would have to be extinguished before my word were, will fail. Well, look around you, it's still here and I'm coming and I've, I'm keeping my word. And the problem, as we're going to see in this psalm, is his people haven't kept their end of the bargain, of the agreement, of the covenant. Okay, so let's look at verse 7. Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel. I will testify against you. And here it is. I am God, your God. I mean, you can just hear him saying, I am God, you're not. And you've gotten that backwards. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. You've done a good job. You've been, you've been good Mormons. You've been good Jews. You've kept the sacrifices. You've done all the good works. But that's not what I'm looking for. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. Why? Because every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills or in a thousand galaxies. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls? Do I drink the blood of goats? In other words, I don't need your sacrifice. You're not doing... I haven't asked you to do this because I need this from you. Verse 14. Offer to God a sacrifice instead of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. You know what he's saying? What I want, all this is mine, and I've given all of this to you. What you should be doing is not trying to earn something from me, but saying thank you for all that I've given to you already. See, we know that we're right with God when our expression is thank you, not, oh, you know, I, I haven't measured up or you're expecting more of me and, I, and look at what I've done, look at what I've done. Let it be the performing of your vows. That's obedience. It basically saying, 
Be thankful that I've chosen you. Now trust and obey me. Look at verse 15. And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. It begins with thankfulness. It ends with glory. Verse 16. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to recite my statutes and take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. You you don't call on me in trouble. You just accuse me and gripe to me and complain to me and And when things are going good, you don't say, thank you, Lord, you take all the credit. And when I try to discipline you, it doesn't phase you, it doesn't slow you down. Verse 18, if you see a thief, you are pleased with him and you keep company with adulterers. Verse 19, you give your mouth free reign for evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I have been silent. And in God, listen, when we sin and God doesn't immediately judge, the worst thing that you can think is, I'm getting away with it. Look at what he says. These things you have done, and I have been silent. You thought that I was one like yourself. See, we think God's standards are our standards. And we think that we, oh, yeah, I know what he says in the Bible, but I can live this way. I, I, I know what he says, but I can, I can go ahead and live this way. I can blow these things off. He's like me. But now I rebuke you and I lay charge before you. Now look at verses 22 and 23. Mark this, then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. Verse 23. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me to one who orders his way rightly i will show the salvation of god now compare verse 14 and 23 again look at verse 23 look at verse 14 look at verse 23 the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me to one who orders his way rightly i will show the salvation of god now the same god who created all that we've seen today in the universe by these clips to show his glory has revealed to us in the word his saving purposes he's shown us in romans 9 through 11 the mystery of god's majestic mission of mercy he's delivered us from our sins he's given us his righteousness and why has he done all that so that we can have a grateful heart that gives glory to him for all things so i ask again How should we respond to the mystery of God's majestic mission of mercy? And here in 33 through 36, we've been slowly working through three responses. The first is we should look up to the heavens. We should look at Romans 9 through 11 and we should say, oh, my God is awesome, awesome, awesome. And that's the first response. Oh, my God is awesome. Awesome. Just look at the mystery of his majestic mission of mercy for all peoples, peoples like you and me. And then when we see how big God is, how big the universe is, and we realize how small we are, we should ask what question? Who am I? Who am I? And we saw last week that there were three questions there. Who am I to think I can outthink God? and figure out his mind. It's just beyond us. Who am I in light of the majesty of God's knowledge? I must admit I am spiritually ignorant. 
Question two, who am I to think I can outmaneuver God and give him advice? You know, you look at this universe that we've seen in these clips and you think, okay, I'm going to advise God how to run my life. You know, he's got the the plank, whatever the heck that minute scale is, all the way up to the whatever the huge one is, the cork and something. You know, it's just, but, I, but, I, but I'm going to tell you, God, how to, you're just not quite getting my life correct right now. You're letting too many problems. You've let too much pressure in. What, 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 do you think I can make money without a job? you think I can provide without, you know, this morning, just looking out, on my deck, Gwen's put some bird seed from my dad's house. Now we got birds. She enjoys, and I just think of poop all over my deck. But that's a man and a woman, and we'll, we'll, we'll deal with this. But I did get a lesson from God. I sat there, and I watched these birds, and now we have birds. They're all provided. And I thought, okay, now we provide that, but ultimately God's always prov- these, these God provides for the sparrow. I, I just don't have to get stressed out about this. I don't have to... Wor- it is stressful. Our problems are real. I'm not making light of that. But when you compare your problem that you're going through this morning to the vastness of our God who's holding this universe together, I think we can get a little better perspective and realize, my God, who am I that I get to know you? Question number three, who am I to think I can outgive God and make him my debtor? Okay, he owns all that, but... Somehow, God, you ought to be grateful that I lay down my 10%. Actually, I, I, I need 5% of that 10%, so I'm going to lay down my 5%. You ought to be a... There, there, angels ought to line up and applaud me. In and he's looking at all this, and he says, I've got all this. I'm not asking for your money because, you, because I need it. I'm asking it for your heart. And that, that percentage that you give me on a... Regular, faithful basis is just saying, God, all this is yours. And this is a token. And in light of the universe and a cattle on a thousand years, it's a drop in the bucket. But it's my, it's my drop to say that it all comes from you. Who am I in light of the riches of, of God? I'm, I must declare I'm spiritually bankrupt. So here's the bottom line. No one can outthink God. And so we should just accept his message of salvation as it's revealed in the Bible. And no one can outgive God to think that he owes us anything. Now, John Wesley, he's a revivalist, a famous preacher, preach revival. We taught a series on him here. John Wesley once said this, and this kind of sums up everything I'm saying here. Basically, by introduction, it's this. Show me a worm that can fully comprehend a man, and I'll show you a man who can fully comprehend God. And that's basically what we should be thinking as we exit Romans 9 through 11. That's, that's just the vastness and the distance between what we have been studying, God's mind, God's wisdom, God's mercy, compared to our comprehension. Okay? Now, having said that, I, do, I put the geeky Greek thing back on there because it's cool. And here's the cool. It's called a chiasm. They're all over the Bible. Okay, they're all over the Bible. The reason it's called chiasm in Greek, the Greek word, it's the Greek word for X. Okay, so you got X. And I even laid out the structure of it. So you always have, like, different sentences. And then it comes out 
And so it forms an X. So as you read through that passage, 33 through 36, you, you get this, this form that, that he starts out with uh, God's riches of his mercy. And then you have the, the depth of God's wisdom. And then you have the depth of God's knowledge. So you're working your way in. Or as we said in the last two weeks, we've been working up a mountain. You're working your way in. And when you get to the heart then, you get the unsearchableness of his judgments, God's sovereign purposes, and the untraceableness of God's plans or ways, which is his saving plan to save us. And then all of a sudden he starts talking about who can know the mind of God. Well, see, you're back here to knowledge again. And then he says, who can be God's counselor? And you're back there to wisdom again. And then he says... Who can give so as to make God his debtor? And you're back to the riches again. So as we go in, we're going, woo It's like walking into the ocean. You ever walked into the ocean? At first, it's really cool. Oh, this is fun. Look at my feet. You know, then you walk in a little wire, and the waves start pushing against your, your thighs, your waist a little bit. And you're like, okay, this is, this is where Gwen starts getting nervous, okay? And Amber's like, this is cool, Dad. Then we get out there, and it's about up to our neck. Now, Gwen's gone now. She's back. She, she's tumbled and she's back saying and, and angry that hurt. This isn't fun. I don't know why you idiots are doing this. I'm, I'm gone. And so she goes and Amber's like, this is cool. But Amber's getting nervous because now it's up to her neck. And then we get out there a little farther because dads just kind of do that. And then then dad's nervous because we've gotten into the depth, the unfathomable depth and the fear that Amber, we always have Gwen and I and. And Amber's growing into it because the older you get, the more you realize how dangerous things are that are fun. You realize that the wrong wave come along and we can be swept out. Where you can never touch and you may never get back. That's what we've been doing. And as we've gone on this, some of you turned back. That's okay because God's patient and kind. And guess what? He's doing this whether you like that he's doing it or agree with him or understand that he's doing it. He's still doing it. But here's the point. If you keep going out to the depths, you're going to come to the center. Now, here's why a chiasm is important. Whatever is at the center is what's emphasized. So when you look at that text, what's at the center? His judgments are unsearchable. His ways are untraceable. Mystery, mystery, mystery. And then you're like, I want to get back to Gwen in the beach. And so you start making your way back out and you say, who can know this? Who can know the mind of God? And then you say, who could advise him on doing this better? And then you say, what could I ever give him that's greater than what he's given me in Christ? Isn't that beautiful? And then you go, wow, that was fun. But I couldn't have made it without God. See, here's the point. We couldn't have taken that trip if God hadn't revealed it in His Word. If God hadn't revealed it in His Word, we couldn't take that trip. Now, if this is what's most important, then the next layer is what's next in importance, and the next layer, and the next layer. And so what I have underneath that chart, who are we in light of... The center of what we have been studying, notice on the left-hand side there, it says God's mysterious purposes, which are summed up in verses 25 and 26. Look at verses 25 and 26. 
Lest you be wise in your own sight, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. We have at the heart of these passages, at the heart of what God is doing, is His sovereign, mysterious purposes to save sinners. And it says a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins, when I fulfill the new covenant, when I give them a new heart, and when I write the law upon their hearts. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for, of God for your sake. But regards election, they are beloved. They're beloved enemies. That doesn't make sense, God. That's okay. It's a mystery. I'm, I'm, I've got it under control. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. And then he just goes on and he says, For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too now have been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. And then here's the mystery. Here's the mystery. God has consigned or imprisoned all to disobedience. He's imprisoned us all in our sins that we have freely chose. Why? That he may have mercy on all. Does that mean he's going to save all people? No, it means he wants to have mercy on all people, Jew, Gentile, law keepers and lawbreakers, religious and non-religious. I'm going to have mercy on you all. Now, that leads us to God's majestic knowledge. How's God figure this out? Well, he's divine. He's sovereign. We saw that in Romans 9. And then how's it going to work out in history? Well, that's his missional wisdom. We saw that in Romans 10. He's going to work it out by preaching the gospel to all peoples. And then what's going to be the result of that? God's merciful riches for all peoples. Remember, we started this series to get you ready for uh, uh, last year's uh, world outreach. Are you ready yet? Maybe you'll be ready for next year. Now look underneath that. Here's what I wrote. We are nothing. Who are we in light of all that we have studied? We are nothing. God is everything. But because he is everything for us, that makes us something. Isn't that beautiful? We are nothing. Remember what Piper says in that quote? It's not to devalue us. It's to make much of God. And when we make much of God, that lifts our value up. Do you feel of little worth this morning? Has your problems, have your, have your family strife, has your work struggles, have the sin, the besetting sin that you would be embarrassed if everybody knew about this morning, has that started to devalue you and make you think that you are not you know, significant and you'll never be victorious? Listen, we are nothing. God is everything, but because he is everything for us, that makes us something, something very special from him, through him, and to him. Let me give you this illustration, because I think we can, we all have a little bit of Louis Fourteenth in it. Danny, you didn't know that, but you have a little, you, you thought you were going to put that in your new home, but you have some in you, some Louis Fourteenth. I have no idea why I just said that, but that. Isn't that a designer thing? Isn't that a type of furniture or something? Louis XIV? I don't know. It sounds like it. Okay, well, in 1715, Louis XIV of France died. 
he called himself Louis the Great. Now, none of us probably stand in the mirror in the morning and say, Robert the Great. But we all have that in us, right? Sandra the Great, even Sandra, humble Sandra. We all have that tendency to say, I'm pretty good compared to, okay. So in 1715, Louis the Fourteenth died. He called himself Louis the Great. His court was the most magnificent in all of Europe. He even planned his funeral to be spectacular. Now, you know you've got an e- you're on an ego trip when you plan out how great your funeral okay. So here's what he said. To dramatize his greatness, his body was put in a golden coffin. He had given orders that the cathedral be dimly lit with only a special candle set above the coffin. So, you know, everything, you know, just, you know, the, 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 the eternal fire, the eternal light. Thousands waited in hushed silence. Then Bishop Mazelon began to speak. Slowly, reaching down, he snuffed out the candle, saying, only God. Louis the Fourteenth. He didn't have anything he could. That was the thing back then. The kings and the church—they kind of had issues. That's what Paul's saying here. Listen, this is what Paul is saying. God is great. You are not. So humble yourself before Him and worship Him alone. And so let's look at the third response again here in verse thirty-six. The third response is this: Give God all the glory. Oh my God, who am I? Give God all the glory. Oh, my God, who am I? Give God all the glory. And so look at it again. For from him, it's all in the prepositions, okay? And so if you didn't pass grammar, that's all right. Here's the prepositions. From, through, and to. For from him and through him and to him. Break it down. And by the way, this is an explanation. This is an explanation of everything that has come before in the preceding verses. Who can know his mind? Who has been his counselor? Who has given him to make him his debtor? This is why. Let me explain to you why you can't figure God out. Why I can't outgive God. Here's the reason why. All things are from him, through him, and to him. So explanation number one. All things are from God. He is the source of all things. He is the source of all things. All things, not some things, all things. Now, let's stop and think about this. That means he's the creator. He's the sovereign source of all things. Nothing comes into being without his approval or permission. Again, stop and think what's stressing you out right now. Ultimately, it came from him. Say, wait a minute. Now, I'm I'm, I'm probably treading... I might have to get John to edit his little video he's making. Um, All things are from him. Now, God is not the direct source of sin. He isn't. God's not the direct source of sin. But who created Satan? God did. God did. God's not the source of sin, but who created Adam and Eve? God did. Think about, whenever I get into this thing of of suffering, and I don't have the answers. I'm not telling you this provides the answers. But what I'm saying is when I think about these things, all things coming from God, including my problems, including in in some way my sin, the sin of this universe, the suffering of people, I just go back to the book of Job. And it's just very interesting when you look at Job. Nothing happened to Job 
without God's permission. And by the way, who started that little fight in heaven? Who did? Who? God started it. God said, have you considered my, you accuser of the brethren, you enemy of mine, have you considered one of my prized trophies, one who is righteous and blameless in all things? Have you considered my servant Job? Oh, he's just serving you because you protect him so much. Let me touch him. Let me, let me take some things away from him. Review, remove your hedge of protection. And what did he say? You can go ahead and do that. But you can't touch him. What did God just do? What did God just do in that decision? He permitted what? He permitted evil. He permitted evil. And Satan couldn't have done it. And by the way, Satan didn't do it by coming out and saying, with horns and a tail and saying, I'm after you, Job. God, let me come after No, how did he come at it? Foreigners came in and, and took, you know, another tribe, another nation. I said that wrong. Don't getting down on foreigners. Uh, you know, an, another people came through and, and ravaged their land. Uh, creation, there was a storm. Are you with me? There's some people, yeah. Okay, I'm just saying this is real life. Some people went through a tsunami, Sri Lanka. People will say, oh, God had nothing to do with that. Really? God had nothing to do with that? Christy, you understand. No, I don't understand all that. I'm just telling you what the Bible. And then this is what Job said. When all this happened to him, he said, you know, God gives and God takes away. See, he doesn't say, the devil, the devil. He goes vertical and he goes to God's sovereignty and he said, God gave it all and God can take it away and he doesn't have to consult with me how he does it. And then the Bible says, in all this, Job did not sin with his life. In other words, what he said was the right view of things, even though he had no clue what was going on. And when he gets to the end of it, and he finally gets his one-on-one encounter where he says, I'm going to ask you, God, why I've suffered. Because, you know, Satan came back and said, oh, yeah, let me touch him. Okay, I'll let you touch him, but you can't take his life. You can give him cancer, but you can't kill him. with. You can give him a tumor, but it's not going to kill him. And when he finally gets his face-to-face interview with with God, what did we see last week? He just covered his mouth and said, I've got some repentance. Because I thought I knew better how you ought to be running my life. And I thought I had a better perspective on things than you did. I wanted to call you to account. And I wanted to call you to court. And I wanted to lay it out before you. And I wanted to straighten you out. And I realized, God, you're unsearchable. You're unfathomable. You're untraceable. I love you. I fear you. I trust you. Even when it's down. Even when it's bad. Even when I can't figure it out. All things are from him. And ultimately under his merciful, merciful, merciful rule. Was God ultimately merciful to Job? He blessed him doubly. And in the end, God had... Job had no complaints. Number Explanation number two, all things are through God. See, some people think God started all this with a big bang. 
He started it, but now everything's evolving and, and, and we're figuring this all out. No, explanation number two, all things are through God. He is the sustainer of all things. He's not only the sovereign source, he's the sovereign sustainer. Israel never would have survived as a people if God hadn't sustained them through the Holocaust. Israel never would have had a national status in 1948 if it wasn't for a sustaining God who keeps his promises to his people. And let me say this, the same is true of your salvation and mine. Listen, we would not still be saved if all things were not through God, if God didn't keep us by his power. We would have sinned our salvation away the day we got it. The day we got it, we would have sinned it away. And he sustains us. Explanation number three. All things are not only from God, through God, but all things are for God. He is the sovereign. He is sovereign over all things. James Montgomery Boyce, who is, uh, was a famous expositor that recently been with the Lord, he calls this verse, verse 36, the secret to the Christian worldview because it dethrones man and it puts God on the throne of the universe. All things are from him, through him, to him. God, Man's off the throne. God is on the throne. How should we respond to this? Well, you have it there in your notes. We, sh- we have it there in Romans. It's a doxology. We, would, sh- we should give God the glory. And we should delight to give it to him. So here's the ending. Look at verse 36. To him be the glory forever. Say it with me. To him be the glory forever. Now say it like you mean it. To him be the glory forever. To him be the glory forever. Amen. That's true. Let it be in my life. Let it be true in my family. Let it be true in this church. Let it be true among the nations. Let it be true in the universe. God gets the glory. Amen. Now, what is doxology? We've been saying this. Well, let me say this. Doxology is delighting in God the glory that he deserves in word. In word. In word, Paul expressed something. Could I beg you to express the glory of God this week as you talk to people? Could I, could, I, could I challenge you to ask yourself, do I ever give God the glory in my words during the week? Or do I just sing the choruses on Sunday and I maybe even cuss during the week? When's the last time Believer, recipient of God's abundant, undeserving mercy, that during the week, in your words, among the lost, you gave glory to God for all that He's given you? Or have you been embarrassed and ashamed, silent, when the God of the universe is so merciful? And we should do it in song. Do you realize that Romans 33 through 11, 33 through 36, this is a song. This is a song. Do you know what the last song the Beatles ever recorded? Anybody know this? A little trivia here. What's the last song the Beatles recorded? You ready? Here's the title. I, me, mine. 
And that song by the Beatles is the first song and the last song that the unregenerate, unsaved person sings. I, me, mine. And the saved person sings a song that says, All things are from him, through him, and to him. To God be the glory forever. Amen. And then thirdly, we do it in our lives. What's that look like, Chris? Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You see, our whole lives are to be poured out to Him. Now, what's that look like? Well, we're going to start a new series next week. And it's called, By the Mercies of God. Four weeks. Not going to be like Romans 9 through 11. Not going to be 30 weeks. And it's not going to be exegesis and exposition. It's not going to be the, it's not going to be, it's going to be back to what we usually do down here. But I just could not leave this book. You see, how we give glory to God is Romans 12 through 16. And we're not going to just keep on, but we're going to do Romans 12. And we're going to learn how to glorify God's mercy in Christ by merciful living. Now, moms, in two weeks, there's actually a Mother's Day message in Romans 12. And if there's not, I'm going to make sure there is one. But I got thinking about what's coming up in Romans 12. Moms, if there's anybody in a practical, real world that needs to be shown mercy, it's mothers of all ages. But moms, you know what the secret is to being a great mom? Showing mercy to your spouse to your children. And Romans 9 through 11 gave you the ability to live a merciful life. So are you going to come next four weeks? One week will be Memorial Day. Go over one week in June. We can live merciful lives. You know why? God. Merciful. Father, we come and we're humbled. <laughs> this, we're, we're specks of dust. We are made of dust and we are specks of dust in this vast universe. That's not because you think we're insignificant. It's because you are so sovereign and merciful. And so, Father, I pray that this lesson, as we leave now Romans 9 through 11, some say, hallelujah, praise God. Thought it would never get here. But, Lord, ultimately, I hope we're all saying, I've seen God in a bigger way. I can't ever go back. He's not going to fit in my box anymore. He's bigger. I'm more humble. And I can be more merciful to those around me. God, may these next four weeks be a transforming in our lives as the last 30 weeks have been transforming in our minds. And we beg of you to do it in Jesus' name. To God be the glory forever, and we say, Amen. Amen.